A child rips it a package on Christmas morning. This package is especially difficult to get into. It's wrapped up all fancy. There's a ribbon tied around it. There's a box inside that's taped up so well. As the child is working his way through it, the parents are leaning in, smiles on their faces, camera ready to capture the moment. The child knows that he must look especially excited for this present. It's important for the parents, if not for him. Finally, the child, he gets into it. He's able to get through all the paper, all the ribbon, all the tape, and the present is opened. And it is a present worth being excited about. It's the present that all the kids on the block wanted. But if you were able to pull that child away just for a second and ask, what is it that you really want for Christmas? The child would tell you just a few less nights just running from here to there, a few less weekends with dad or mom at work, just a few more nights where we could just sit around the table, have dinner together, a few more times where we could just have a family game night and do things together. What the child really wants is you. A young husband holds out a small package to his young wife at a very exclusive restaurant of his choosing. Because of work, he'd been so busy and he just ordered the present online and he's hoping that this present is going to be that one special gift. It's way more than what they had agreed to for their budget, but he knows he spent so many nights away, so many weekends away because of business. Their weekend getaway was wrecked. He'd made promises to be here, promises to be there, promises that he hadn't kept. He's hoping that what's in that small package will make up for all of that. But if you were to ask her, what does she really want for Christmas? Ah, she'd tell you what she really wants is him. It's just more uninterrupted time with him. So this Christmas season, like all Christmas seasons, we sing carols about that baby born in the tiny town of Bethlehem. And we were so glad, we're so thankful that he came then there at that time. But what we really want to know is, is he here now with us? So, as we continue our Christmas time series, this morning we're going to hear the promise of a promised child, a promise given by Isaiah the prophet. We'll also pick up and hear how Matthew kind of jumps off of that promise in Matthew's gospel. So, I want you to listen this morning as I read from Isaiah 7 and then from Matthew 1. I'm going to start in Isaiah chapter 7 verses 10 through 17 as we continue our series, Child of Hope. Hear the words of the prophet. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any. Since Ephraim broke away from Judah, he will bring the king of Assyria. 
Now listen to how Matthew picks up on it in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as she considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear. Take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Have you ever had an occasion where you just say, you know what I really need is a sign from God? I need some kind of just vindication, verification, recognition that God is here, that he's in this, that he's, that he's working. You know, Elijah, he got a sign, right? I mean, the fire, he called down fire from heaven. It consumed the whole sacrifice, the whole bit. I mean, we'd be happy if God would just kind of light a candle on fire for us. What sign would you ask for for God? What kind of verification would you want to see to know that God is in this, that he is here right now? You know, the thing about this account in, the, in Isaiah is that it kind of grates on us because Ahaz was a lousy king. I mean, Ahaz, you need to know, he was the king of Judah after Israel had kind of split into two kingdoms. You had northern kingdom Israel, you had southern kingdom Judah, and Ahaz, he was the king of the southern kingdom Judah, and he was a terrible king. He was an evil king, and this makes us mad because we know evil people, terrible people, they don't deserve signs. I mean, we kind of have this understanding, don't we, where we think if we're faithful, if we're obedient, if we live for God, you know, maybe you can earn enough God points and sooner or later you cash those in, God gives you a sign. He gives righteous people a sign, faithful, obedient people a sign. But evil, terrible people a sign? This makes no sense to us. And make no mistake, Ahaz was evil. He was so evil that he offered his son as a sacrifice to the pagan gods. You can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 16 where it said that he made his son pass through the fire. He built places of worship for pagan gods. This is in Judah. This is God's uh, territory that he's given to the people of Israel. And this is how Ahaz leads as a king. And now this battle is about to take place that Isaiah is talking about. Nahaz, he doesn't trust God. No, he's, he's looking for someone else he can trust. And he's going to put his trust in the Assyrians, a, a pagan, godless kingdom. Why? Because he trusts in chariots. He trusts in soldiers rather than in God. And so to please the Assyrians, I mean, this guy, he takes everything out of the temple that was used to worship God, and he brings it out and so that the Assyrians can use them in the worship of their gods. I mean, this guy is a really, really evil king. He gets that line that all the evil kings in the Old Testament got, that Ahaz did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. 
and yet Ahaz gets a sign. I mean, of all people, this evil guy, he doesn't deserve a sign. I mean, isn't this so unfair? This guy's a loser of a king. And right after Isaiah gets his call to be a prophet in, in Isaiah chapter 6, he's sent to tell Ahaz, do not be afraid. You need to stand in the faith of the one true God. Because if you don't stand in the faith of the one true God, you're going to fall. You're not going to be able to stand at all. Problem is, Ahaz has no faith. He has no faith in the one true God. The Lord tells Isaiah, you tell Ahaz that I'm going to give him a sign. What sign does he want? And Ahaz responds, oh, far be it from me to ask the Lord God for a sign. I can't do that. That, that would not be right. And to us, we look, we say, oh, well, that, that sounds like a great answer, doesn't it? You see, you need to understand the era of political correctness, it doesn't just start now. It's been going on for a long time. This is just some political correct answer. It's a coward's response because we have other occurrences in the Old Testament where men, women, they ask God for a sign in faith. But Ahaz, he's not able to say what he wants because he fears of being trapped by God. He thinks there's going to be these strings attached or something. And so Ahaz, in a politically correct kind of way, oh, no, 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 it's not right for me to ask God for a sign. You know how it is sometimes, don't you? Where you want something, you ask for something, but you don't realize the strings that are going to be attached. And then when you find out what comes with what it is you've wanted for, well, then maybe you wouldn't have wanted it to begin with. I mean, it, it's like that song, you know, that old uh, country music song by Garth Brooks. Thank God for, some, for unanswered prayers. You know how that song goes, right? It's about a guy who goes to his high school reunion and he sees all the girls there that he used to pray that he could date. And then the song goes, thank God for unanswered prayers. Or maybe it's kind of like that mythical story of, of Merlin with Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. You know how that one worked? Merlin, he asked the gods, can I just live forever? And the gods grant him his request. Problem is, Merlin forgot to ask for eternal youth. And so while Merlin lived forever, he spent his whole time dying. Sometimes what we ask for isn't good news at all. Ahaz says, I can't test the Lord by asking for a sign. And Isaiah says, okay, but God's going to give you a sign anyway. And here's the sign Ahaz it's a baby. Ahaz, I mean, when he heard that, he must have sat back in his throne and he must have thought, a baby? I mean, what good is a baby going to do? I need soldiers. I need chariots. I got two kings. I mean, the king of Israel and the king of Syria, they're ready to kill me. They're conspiring together. They want me dead. I need somebody bigger than a baby. I need Assyria. And Isaiah, he kept on. He says, Ahaz, you're not paying attention. The name of the baby is Emmanuel, which means God with us. And know this, when God is for you, it doesn't really matter who's against you. And we all know this is true. It's kind of like being in a middle school recess. And you're playing a pickup game of basketball, right? And you've got, you've got two captains, and the two best people were always the captains. And in my middle school, was a guy named Mike Vallott. Why? Because Mike, he was faster than anybody else. He could blow by anybody on the court. He could dribble. He could pass. He could shoot. He could defend. He could do it all. And if you were on Mike's team, it didn't matter who was on the other team. You knew you were going to win. 
This is the good news of Emmanuel, that God is with us. So it doesn't matter who's on the other side of the gates, Ahaz. It doesn't matter whose armies are joining forces against you. The good news is God is for you, and it doesn't even matter who's against you. Because if God has chosen you, you're going to win. Not because of your talent, not because of what you bring to the table, but because of who your captain is. So Ahaz heard this promise from the prophet Isaiah. And we see as we hear this promise that Isaiah makes to Ahaz, that it kind of reminds us that God is a God who keeps his promises. He kept his promises to Abraham and to Moses and to David. He keeps his promises to everyone. He kept them to Ahaz. And you know what's more? He'll keep them to you too. Not because you deserve it. I mean, Ahaz, he was a sorry king. He was a lousy king. He didn't deserve a promise. He didn't deserve a sign. We don't think so anyway. See, God keeps his promises not because of who you are, but because of who he is. God is always faithful to his word. You can always trust the promises of God. You need to know that this morning. You can always trust the promises of God. We know this because in the very next chapter, Isaiah chapter 8, a child is born. This promised child, this child of promise is born. Now, I know we immediately jump to Matthew's gospel and we think it's fulfilled there, and it is, but you also need to know it's fulfilled in Isaiah chapter 8. You see, I read from the ESV version this morning, and most English translations translate it that a virgin will give birth to a child because this just fits nicely with Matthew, ties everything together real nice and neat. But the Hebrew word there is the word Alma, and that word most often means young woman. And so when you hear that word, when a Hebrew hears that word, they would most often just think young woman. Now it can also mean virgin, but that's not like the normal use of the word. We see this promise fulfilled in Isaiah chapter 8 because in Isaiah 8, Isaiah's young wife gives birth to a child. He's the child of promise. And this promise, it must have seemed unbelievable to Ahaz when Isaiah made it. See, the promise was this, that this child would be born and he would be a sign that before he was even old enough to choose right and wrong, that the two kings who were conspiring together to kill Ahaz, the king of Syria and the king of Israel, that they would be wiped out. And just as God had promised through the prophet, it's exactly what happened. When the little boy, this child of promise, was less than a year old, the Assyrians march into Syria, the capital Damascus, and they wipe it out. And then just a few years later, when the boy was only about nine, then they marched into Israel and they wiped out Israel. It was the Assyrians who did it, but God made it happen through them. Ahaz, he looked and he just thought it's the Assyrians. He gives no credit to God at all. He failed to see the promise. But you understand the promise extended beyond that. The promise was this, that God is going to protect Judah, that he's going to look after this nation because Ahaz was a good king. No, because of the faithfulness of who God was, that he was not going to abandon Judah at that time. Matthew, he's going to pick up on this promise. And while it was fulfilled through Isaiah's son, a child of promise, Matthew says, well, this promise also looked forward some 700 years to another child, to the child of hope. Matthew, he, he begins writing about it and he tells us about Joseph. And Joseph, he was a faithful man. He was a man who believed God. He was a man who kept his promises. I mean, Joseph, he was a righteous man. His word was his bond. Now, 
we often confuse righteousness with being right, but the two are not the same. You know, so we get afraid and we think, you know, somebody's going to ask me some kind of obscure question about Jesus. I don't know if I really want to talk about Jesus because they're going to ask me this question and I'm not going to know how to respond. I'm not going to be right. But see, right is not righteousness. Righteousness is living the joy-filled life the way God wants us to live it, regardless of the circumstances. So you need to understand that, that you live a righteous life, which is a joy-filled life, the way God wants you to live it, regardless of life's circumstances. And Joseph was a righteous man. He really was. He, he lived with joy the way God wanted him to live his life, regardless of the circumstances. And he never imagined that these circumstances would be so extreme. He had kept his promise to Mary but it seemed as if Mary hadn't kept her promise to him. I mean, now she's spinning this story, how she's pregnant with a child and the Holy Spirit was involved and the angel from heaven came and told her everything that was going to happen. Oh, Joseph loved her. He did. He didn't want to hurt her. He didn't want to embarrass her. But at the same time, he knew this was all just too much. How, how could this story possibly be true? And so Joseph decides, I'll cancel the wedding. I'll do it privately. I'm, I'm not going to try to bring any kind of shame upon her. Perhaps the guy who's responsible can do the right thing and marry her. Maybe her parents can come alongside and help her out. But Joseph knows as much as he loves her, he needs to move on. He needs to let Mary live her life and he's going to live his. And so after he breaks the news, he probably goes home and once his mind and his heart have calmed down just enough, he falls asleep. And as he's sleeping, an angel comes to Joseph and says, hey, everything that Mary told you, it really is true. Do you remember the scriptures? And of course, Joseph remembered the scriptures. He was a righteous man. He knew the Bible. He, in fact, all those scriptures that Jesus quoted, Joseph probably had a hand in teaching those to Jesus. In those days, it was the father's responsibility to make sure that the children knew the scriptures. And so Joseph, yeah, he knew the scripture. Sure, Joseph knew the account of Isaiah and the promised sign that was given to Ahaz, the sign of a baby. And what was the baby's name? Emmanuel. What does it mean? God with us. This promise made to Ahaz, fulfilled through Isaiah's son, was now being fulfilled again. And the angel tells him it's going to be fulfilled through Mary, that this woman that you're to take as your wife, she's going to give birth to the child of hope. The child of hope is here. God is here. And isn't that what we really want this Christmas? to know that God really is here in the midst of this brokenness and the confusion, the, the chaos of this world, to know that we're not alone. I mean, we read about the story of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and it, it proved then, right, that God was there even through the fire, even through the hard stuff. You read about it in Daniel chapter 3. And 
Nebuchadnezzar, he's this powerful king, and he's taken all these exiles from Jerusalem into Babylon, and he's, he's leading. I mean, Babylon is Babylon the Great. It's the empire of the day, the number one uh, empire in the land. And so as everything's growing, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, he begins to believe his own press. He begins to believe what everyone's paid to say about him, all these great things. And so this king, he has this idea, you know what, I'm going to build this big statue of me. And everyone should have to worship this big statue of me. I'm going to blow the horn. And when I blow the horn, everyone needs to bow down and to this statue and worship me. And so these guys, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they, they say, you know, Nebuchadnezzar, you keep blowing that horn all you want, but we're not bowing down to your statue. And Nebuchadnezzar, he says, well, hey, guys, don't you know that I have the power to kill you? And they say, hey, we don't care whether we live or die. God has the power to deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down when you blow your horn. Now, some of you have heard that if you just stand up to a bully, that they'll be just afraid of you as you are of them and they're not going to hit you. That's not true at all. Nebuchadnezzar, he was a bully. He was bullying these guys. They stand up, and Nebuchadnezzar still hits them. I mean, he throws them right into the fiery furnace. And this must have been some kind of fiery furnace because there's this viewing platform where Nebuchadnezzar is able to stand and watch these three guys who he thinks are just going to die in this agonizing pain. And so as he's standing on this platform and looking in, he doesn't see three men, he sees four. And so he asks the question, hey, how many people do we throw into the furnace? And the people shout back, three. And he says, well, there's four in there. We threw three in, but there's four in there. There's another person in there with them. <laughs> so you know, hell, it's not so bad because it's hot. Hell is so bad because God isn't there. All the other details are minor in comparison. It is the absence of God that truly makes it unbearable. The fiery furnace was hot, but God was right there with them. How often is it that you think, if, you know, I would be so much braver if I knew that God were with me. I'd go and I had, I'd have that hard conversation with somebody if I just knew that God were with me. You know, if I knew that God were with me, I'd fight harder for my marriage. If I knew that God were with me, I, I wouldn't give up on that wayward family member or close friend. If I knew that God were with me, I'd work harder at my job. Oh, I'd tell everybody about Jesus. I'd share Jesus. I'd impact people. If I knew that God were with me, I'd tell how he shapes my life and what he does and how he impacts every, every ounce of who I am. Understand this. Your bluff has been called because we know this. God is with us. This is the promise of Emmanuel. Isaiah's son was born as a sign to Ahaz that Emmanuel, God is with us. That was a sign for Ahaz. Emmanuel, Mary's son, the child of hope, is a sign for all of us that God is still with us in this world now. And I know we look around the world and we see all of its problems. We see this weary world full of brokenness, full of confusion. And we ask the question, how do you know God is here? Well, God really is here now. And the question is, how much God do you really need? 
because he never said this world would be easy. He never said that we wouldn't have enemies. He never said that people wouldn't talk bad about us, that we'd never get hurt, that, that people would, would never turn against us, that this would just be an easy ride. He never made any of those promises. The promise that he made was, I'll be with you. You don't have to go through this world alone. This is a promise not just to Ahaz, but to all of us, a promise fulfilled through the child of hope. And that child of hope, he made another promise when he grew up, that this title, Emmanuel, will be true for all people forevermore, that God is still with us. And because of that, we can live lives of joy, doing what God has called us to do regardless of our circumstances. Why? Because God is with us. Heavenly Father, this Christmas season, I pray that we would all latch on to this promise fulfilled that you sent your son who was given the title Emmanuel, meaning God with us. We don't have to go through this world alone anymore. Forgive us for when we try to help us to share the good news that you are here now. God, we need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and through the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.